Greetings in the Lord Jesus. Get myself in order here. Sometimes I find myself wondering, is this a sermon I want to preach today? This morning as I was getting ready, I was still puzzling a little and but after the Sunday school class, I thought, you know, I think the Lord knows what he's doing. <laughs> I want to talk about keeping the faith. Now, Saul didn't keep the faith. We saw that pretty plainly. He, uh, well, maybe he thought he did. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I want to do some sacrifices. I want to go worship God. But Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burning in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. You have rejected the word of the Lord. And I look at that passage and well, it looks a little like the opposite of obedience is called Rebellion, stubbornness, where Saul just tended to think that uh, just doing it a little different was okay. And sometimes I think we fall into that trap too. So, keeping the faith. I'm not really talking so much about uh, keeping the forms, holding to the outward forms and doctrines, holding correct doctrines, having, okay, believing the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the new birth, heaven and hell. Those things are important. We need to hold to those. Nonconformity and separation, we could add. Yes, we need those. But until you can hold all those things and still be lost. You can all those things and still be bitter have bitterness in your heart be a hard brother or sister to get along with cause divisions dishonor God Jesus said woe unto you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites most religious people around woe unto you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith. These ought you to have done and not to have left the other undone. So, keeping the faith. We want to talk about the weightier matters of the law. And, and they have to do with relationships. The faith is a relationship. The faith is relationships too. So, keeping the faith, what's first? And I started, started to start the same place that Brother Josiah started this morning, the greatest commandment, but then I backed up one. Number one, believe God. That's faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we have his word, it's in a book that we all have, it's true, we can take it and believe it, 
And we say we do. Do we obey it? There I find the Lord Jesus revealed. I see him living his life. And I read there that I'm to live like him. Believe means to obey. You don't obey, you don't believe. If I don't obey, I haven't yet bought that pearl of great price and sold everything that I have to go out to buy it. I was thinking through that this morning. Try to imagine what is there in the world anyway that uh, you would go out and sell your house and car and all your stuff and go out and buy that one thing just and then feel like you really got it. Well, I can't quite imagine that. And yet, that's the picture the Lord Jesus drew. The treasure hidden in the field, you go sell everything to buy that field. That pearl of great price where you just get rid of everything else to get it. And when you've got it, you're happy with it. Believe God. Is your salvation worth that much? Was it worth that much? Is it worth that much to you? If I choose to obey God, I stake my life on his word. I stake my life on the Lord Jesus. On obeying. I build my life on him. When I seek the Lord Jesus daily in this book and take what I find there and live by it, that's keeping the faith. And so, okay, I haven't checked lately. I don't keep a complete record anyway. How many times I've read the New Testament through? A couple dozen plus. Every time I find myself finding things and, and thinking about them. Do I weigh this like I should? Do I really believe that that means what it says? And then do I live on it and act like it? And uh, yes, I keep growing. Now I find there are things I've forgotten from times before too. But anyway. Do you believe God? Well, okay, take the book of Matthew and read it through. And ask yourself, when you read the words of the Lord Jesus, do I believe this? Am I obeying it? How could I obey it better? Well, and then do it for Mark, Luke, and John, and then go on and do it for the apostles' writings, too. Believe God. Pretty simple. Number two, love God. Okay, so maybe that should be first. I'm not sure. Mark chapter 12. We'll read a couple verses there. They're familiar to us. And we heard about them this morning already. Mark 12, 28. And one of the scribes came. Mark 12, 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that Jesus had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Oh, we probably should just read some more. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. Said God himself when he was living as man on earth. And the scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, 
and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Saul, are you listening? <laughs> to obey is better than sacrifice. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. This is the greatest commandment. Love God with all your heart, with everything you've got. And so we've committed ourselves to loving God. We beg him, Lord, help me to love you more. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he's given us so much. He is giving us so much. The, the blessings that God showers upon us are unbelievable when you really stop to think about them. Uh, he's worthy of love because he loved us in the way he loved us. And so does that make love kind of a, a warm fuzzy thing for us, our love for God? Well, yes, sometimes it, there's a real joy and a comfort in loving God. It, it feels good. Other times, well, it's the same as in a marriage. Sometimes you have to work at it a little bit uh, to love your wife like you're supposed to because self gets in the way and makes it a little harder or whatever. It's the same with us. Sometimes love is not so warm and fuzzy. It's just we have to do it because we love him and we choose to do it. And sometimes our love might get kind of cooled down. And when that happens, we look again at the love of the Lord Jesus for us. What well, we call that communion service sometimes is a good opportunity to do that. And we beg God to help us to love him and to grow in it. You see, anybody can say, I love God. And a lot of people do say it. Anyone can think they love God, and a lot of people think they do. But that's a little bit hard to grasp, and I think that's why he gave us the second commandment here. He's told us clearly how to love him. Obey the second commandment. Love other people. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is the love of God, John said, that we keep his commandments. My love for God is no greater than my obedience. Saul's love for God was no greater than his obedience too. My love for God is no greater than my desire to obey also. Because sometimes we do what's right because we know we'll be punished if we don't. Well, and that's probably better than not doing what's right, but we ought to do it because we love God and we choose to for that reason. And so love your neighbor as yourself, I think, is about the same thing as if you love me, keep my commandments. On these two hang all the law and the prophets. And we know what John said, if, in, if a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God loves his brother also. And so if I love God, I will be forgetting self, denying myself, so that I can live for others, so that I can love others, so I can serve others. Because I love God. That's the way I show it.
And so here you have these commandments. Jesus says these are the two most important. And I think it's a pretty good idea to, to ask ourselves now and then, how am I doing? Do I really love God first? Do I really love my brothers more than myself, or as myself anyway? I was looking at a book just this morning, and, and it was saying the key to a church, to the church staying faithful is, how do you say it, self-judgment is the idea. Looking at your own heart and judging yourself. And I think there's some, I didn't have time to think it all through, but there's some truth there. I can't keep this church faithful. JP can't do it. Nathan and Mark and John can't do it. How are you going to stay faithful? It's yourself and your own relationship to God. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Do I really love him? When I choose to respond in love, no matter what, when I choose to serve, to give, to live others-centered, I'm keeping the faith. When I respond in an unloving way, when I choose selfishly, I've not kept the faith. And so, these are the important things, the most important. <laughs> well, we want to go on. Let's go to Micah 6, 8, another familiar passage. We all probably could quote it. I want to read a couple of verses before. Jonah, Micah, Nahum. It's back there somewhere in the manors. Pretty sure it is. There it is. Page 1,319 in my Bible, if that helps any. <laughs> All right, Micah 6, verse 6. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Now these are things God did command his people in the Old Testament. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And those are rhetorical questions, and the answer is no. Obviously, you shall not give those things. But verse 8, but, we could put the but in there. He has showed you, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. That's all that he requires. And I noticed how closely those paralleled what Jesus said. You have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, or justice, mercy, and faith. So, you want to look at these three. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Three different focuses in there and I think uh, this is the way I put them a focus in a focus out and a focus up so do justly focus in somewhat do right do what's right 
do the right thing. We all know that Christians are supposed to do what's right. And that's what God says here too. Do the right thing. Do justice. Do righteously. And, and so the focus is somewhat inward from our point of view because we're looking into our hearts and saying, what is the right thing and how do I do it? It requires, at least it requires an inward carefulness. And personal responsibility is key again. Personal self-judgment. Looking at our own lives and making sure they're where they're supposed to be. It calls for integrity and integrity of commitment. And I don't know what the what's a good description of integrity. A, a real, from the heart, non-pretended commitment to God. To do the right thing. To God, toward God, and to others. And so, do justly. I must obey God. I have no excuse not to. I'm responsible, I'm accountable if I don't. No matter what. Paul found, Saul found excuses, reasons he couldn't do it. The people were starting to desert him. He said, I forced myself and made that offering. So we might say, well, I didn't know God said that. Well, whose fault is that? I own the book. You do too. I want to know what he says. I should be reading it and finding out. I have no reason, to, no excuse to say I didn't know what he wanted me to do. I might say, I was mistreated by others, therefore I couldn't obey. Lots of people say that nowadays. Such and such, or this and that happened to me however many years ago, or all through my life it was just so bad I can't help what I am. Well, phooey, that's a lie. God can help you where you are and right now. My baggage does not keep me from obeying God. I can choose to do what's right in spite of my baggage. Difficult? The instant I decide I want to, not always. But God is able to help us do that. Well, he hit me first. So I hit him back, of course, right? It's his fault. Well, no, it's not his fault. I choose how I respond. And I need to respond right, do justly. And, and Paul says that in Romans 12, toward the end of the chapter there, provide things honest in the sight of all men. And it's in the context of people mistreating you. You respond correctly, even if they're mistreating you. It's his fault. Well, maybe so. That doesn't give me the right to sin, to choose to do wrong. I need to respond as God wants me to. And I've said this, and I'll keep saying it. I've never seen any relationship problem of any magnitude where there isn't some fault on both sides, including relationship problems I've been in. And we can say, well, he's more wrong than I am. <laughs> so what? What's that have to do with whether you're doing right or not? You do the right thing. If you are wrong, you take care of your wrong. It's not your business whether he's more right or wrong than you or not. Your business is you wrong. You need to deal with it. And I don't even need to figure out who's to blame for why I am the way I am. 
I mean, maybe my dad was a drunk, and maybe he did slap me upside of the face one time with a piece of a dead turtle, <clears throat> and I didn't like it. <laughs> I don't think it uh, scarred me too bad. <laughs> if it did, I remember it, obviously. <laughs> he was drinking. We caught a snapping turtle, and I must have done something he didn't like, and he just sort of... <clears throat> anyway. Uh, <laughs> Probably did worse than that sometimes. Does that mean I can't choose to do right now? And, and a lot of people are, are, this whole Sigmund Freud thing, go back there and find all the reasons they are like they are and why they can't now obey God. It's a lie of the devil. We don't have to go back and figure out who's to blame or why I'm where I am. What we have to do is start here and go forward. That's what God ask others, do justly now. He can't require you did justly, but he can require you to do justly now. We can't even say, I'll do right tomorrow. Right now is when we do it. Ultimately, it's my response right here and right now that matters. And so when I set my heart on doing what's right and I do it, that's keeping the faith. Well, it takes his power. Takes him in us, yes. When I'm set on learning more of God's will so that I can do it, that's keeping the faith. When I refuse to nurse a hurt or a grudge, when I choose to forgive, I'm keeping the faith. When my conscience won't let me ignore what I know is right, that's keeping the faith. When I refuse to make excuses for my sins, my mistakes, when I repent and make it right and go forward, that's keeping the faith. When I take personal responsibility for my wrong responses, regardless of what anyone else did in it, that's keeping the faith. Do justly. Do what's right. Well, the second one is love mercy. And here I see the focus outward, that is seeing the other person and how I see him and how I relate to him. And we praise God for his mercy. Without it, we would be lost. He delivers us from, from all that we deserved, forgives us. We love to receive mercy. And that's the example for us. As you have received, freely you have received, freely give. So God said, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Focus outward. Love to extend mercy to others. Now, we don't particularly like being mistreated. We don't particularly like it when others bother us. But those are opportunities to show mercy. And we need to do them if we're going to keep the faith. I, th I think it's a life principle. Freely you have received, freely give. Whether it's, well, whatever it is, <laughs> freely give. Think about forgiveness. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And we could go to Matthew 18 and read that passage where 
Peter came to Jesus and said, how often do I need to forget my brother? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, <laughs> 70 times seven. And then he told him a story. The man who owed $10,000 to his master, and his master said, time to pay up. I'm going to sell you and your family and get what I can out of you. And he fell down and begged for mercy. And the master just forgave him. And then he went out, grabbed his fellow servant that owed him $10, and took him by the neck and said, pay up or else, and threw him in the jail until he got it done. Freely you have received, freely give. Well, we know the rest of the story. The first pastor came back and just said, sorry, it's all back on you again. You cannot be forgiven and stay forgiven if you don't forgive others. We know that. But mercy and forgiveness are just about synonymous pretty closely. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If we don't forgive, we're not keeping the faith. We don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. I thought about the, the attributes of mercy that you find in 1 Corinthians 13. And I know that chapter, we call it the love chapter, but the, I saw mercy there too. <laughs> And I suppose it has to be that way. Couldn't help but be. Verse 4, where it says, Charity suffers long and is kind. So he mistreats me. I love him anyway. I'm kind in return. Mercy. Mercy suffers long and is kind. Verse 5, mercy does not behave itself unseemly or rudely. It cares about other people. It's careful not to hurt others. It's got that outward focus toward serving others. It's not easily provoked, not easily irritated. So it looks with a, a, a kindly and a generous eye on others. It doesn't get angry easily then because it tends to see others through mercy-colored glasses. Say it that way if you like. It thinks no evil. doesn't keep track of wrongs done, I think is uh, kind of the idea there. Well, to keep track of the wrongs done is evil, unforgiving, unmerciful. Verse 7, it bears all things. It puts up with a lot without responding wrongly. In fact, it returns love and mercy even when things, someone does want to hurt him. But I say unto you, return good for evil. Overcome evil with good, Paul said it. Jesus hanging there on the cross, Father, forgive them. That's mercy. Mercy believes all things. It believes the best, not the worst, about others. Judging, that is having a critical spirit, is the opposite of mercy. 
He shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy. So, if you're like most humans, some of us have it worse than others. I know we tend to look at other people and we criticize and we uh, figure we know why they did what they did and we have these critical feelings about them. That's not keeping the faith. When I do that, I'm setting myself up for judgment. With the measure you meet, it shall be measured again unto you. Goes right along with if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. But if you're looking at people through critical eyes all the time, I don't know, not sure that that means God's going to look at you critically. I think it might mean He's going to have to teach you some things. But Whatever you meet out, you're going to get back one way or another. Not necessarily just from God, from others. So I've said it here before, if you have a roast preacher for lunch, it's going to come back to get you. Your children are going to roast you one day. You've taught them how to do it. That's just the way it is. Uh, with the measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you again. Bears all things, believes all things, believes the best. That was the point there. <laughs> it hopes all things. It hopes for the best. It doesn't give up easily on that person. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench. That's in our memory passage. That struggling brother or sister Are you critical of him? Do you stump him down and put him out? Or do you fan him up and get him burning brighter? Mercy fans it up, puts it into flame. The critical spirit stumps it out. And so I want to love to be merciful. It can come sort of hard to the flesh to be merciful sometimes. We don't feel like it. I need to love to forgive. It's a glorious thing to forgive a wrong done to you. Even if nobody else knows it. Because it makes you like the Lord Jesus. But we want somebody else to know it, don't we? Makes us feel better. Because then we can be a little proud. Maybe y'all aren't human. I don't know. I am. Uh, <laughs> been there and done that. And so we meekly accept the slights and the wrongs or the things that feel like slights. Sometimes we just forgive them, just like Jesus did. We look at other people through mercy-colored glasses. We have that generous, kind, benevolent, helpful outlook. We choose to forgive hurts. We refuse to think wrong of that person. We make excuses for him. He didn't know he hurt me anyway. Shouldn't feel bad at him. We uh, think the best we can about him. We reject those bitter thoughts that want to come in. That's keeping the faith. 
When I choose to be merciful and forgiving, that's keeping the faith of Jesus. And I asked the question this morning in the Sunday school class, how did Saul get to where he got to anyway? He was once small in his own eyes. And I pondered that, well, last Sunday we talked about apostasy in in an instruction class, and I was thinking about it there. Where does apostasy start? You get up one morning and say, oh, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. Well, not too likely. I think it probably starts more likely where that brother did something that hurt my feelings and I start to let bitterness grow. And you can't let bitterness or wrong attitudes or those kind of things grow inside without it starting to... You give the devil a toehold and he'll take everything he can get. He just will. Okay, third one from Micah 6.8. Walk humbly with God. The Bible repeatedly says and illustrates, Saul was one of them, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Everyone that exalts himself shall be abased. He that humbles himself shall be exalted. So here we're talking about an upward focus. You get humility by focusing on God, by looking at him. Like the publican that came up to pray one day, he beat upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He saw himself because he saw God. We see ourselves in light of God, then we can see ourselves. So we choose to live our life for him. We're bought with a price. We no longer want to save it and keep it for ourselves. I am not important. I'm just not that important. What's important is that my life honors God. When I have that kind of outlook, then I'll be keeping the faith. What's more, Others are important. Esteem others better than yourself. In honor, prefer one another. Live for the good of others, we sing sometimes. You first, at your service. J-O-Y, Jesus first, yourself last, others in there between. When we live that way, when we make those kind of choices, that's keeping the faith. Walking humbly with God to, to God word is, is me recognizing his holiness, recognizing my undoneness like Isaiah there in chapter 6. Woe is me, I'm undone. Completely undone, completely hopeless without him, without his doing it, without his taking me and doing with me whatever good he wants to do. I can't do it. I need him. That's part of it. Toward others, also recognizing that God has made me, us, servants to others. We're not here to serve ourselves. We're not here to be selfish. We're to... We're here to be a servant like the Lord Jesus. 
who emptied himself of all, that, all his glory, he came down, took on himself the form of a servant, went to the cross. Because it was fun, because he wanted to, I think he did want to, but not in the flesh, because there in the garden, you know his prayer. We're called to be servants, to use our time, our energies, our stuff, our money, ourselves, our lives for others. We're not to live for self. When we live for others, that's keeping the faith. And to do that, I must have his help. <laughs> that's keeping the faith. Knowing that and, and depending on him. So Saul... This huge man who was so small at the beginning, he got a little bigger, he got a little bigger, he got more able to handle it himself. He wasn't walking humbly with God anymore. To walk humbly with God means to recognize my own shortcomings, my own sins. First John one. Let me read a couple of those verses. I can't quite quote them, I don't think. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He's writing, by the way, to Christians. He's writing to people whose fellowship is with one another and with God in verse 7. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. No, we don't live in sin. But no, we're not perfect. <laughs> and no, we deal with old self. And yes, we do have to keep coming back to the Lord and, and asking for forgiveness and grace and help and mercy. That's part of walking humbly with God. Walking humbly with God means we keep a close watch on our attitudes because we want to honor him. That's keeping the faith. So doing justly, loving mercy comes from the heart. Our hearts are set on honoring our Lord. God himself has come into our lives, into our hearts. His Holy Spirit is there. It's changed us, made us new creatures, making us, remaking us, renewing us day by day in his image, and we love it that way. We want to keep it that way, and we want to keep growing more and more like him. So that our lives glorify God. We want to bear fruit. That's keeping the faith. And I thought through all of this. I thought about love back at the beginning. Love just permeates it all. Love motivates it all. And I thought about humility at the end. Kind of puts the shine on it from the inside out when you find someone who has 
love and the humility to match and and they're doing right and they love mercy and they show mercy and they're walking with God. That brings God glory. That's keeping the faith. And if we're lacking either one, well, yes, then our relationships are going to be in a, a mess. And it's going to be our fault, not anyone else's. So let's keep the faith. Let's make loving God our highest priority. Let's prove it. Grow in it by loving others. Let's do what's right. Let's cultivate mercy. Grow in it. And let's focus on our God. Stay close to him so that we keep a a good view of ourselves. And in humility we can get from him what we need. To keep the faith. Let's have a song.